Welcome to episode 56 of Redboard Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbuehl, and today my special guest is In The Money Productions' very own Naomi Tucker, and we go over races 5, 7, 10, and 11 from the wonderful Preakness Day card this past Saturday at Pimlico Racing. And some angles we talked about are how using timeform pace ratings can help you with your pace handicapping, realizing when a pace setup can help a horse that seems to be going off form, and when people tell you jockeys don't matter, have them watch the Robbie Alvarado ride on Swiss Skydiver from Saturday. This is Redboard Rewind. It's the same old Now I'd like to welcome my second special guest of the day. She has her own show on the In The Money Media production, Talk Racing with Naomi. It's Naomi Tucker, who did a wonderful job this past weekend on the Preakness. How are you, Naomi? I'm very well. Thank you, Spencer. Yeah, it feels like we're all uh, one big family at the network, aren't we? I mean, it's just growing day by day. I mean, I remember when it was just one or two shows for them, and now I think we're up to like six, seven. It's 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 almost like... Pete's created the monster and you can't, it's Jekyll and Hyde at this point now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but it's so good though. It's all these different shows with different angles and different people with different voices. So I'm loving it. I can say I am as well. I just celebrated the first year. We started last year right after I believe it was Travers. So it was the day that a story of kitten for Danny Gargan got bet so heavily and I played against. Like that's how I can kind of remember the first, uh, like the first weekend of like what the show was. So Pretty crazy going from, you know, where I started to where I am today. So pretty uh, pretty crazy ride. Oh, it has been for me too, so I guess we share that. <laughs> uh, overall, just kind of tell me, you know, how your weekend went. Obviously doing all the production and stuff, uh, it was a lot of racing. It was. Wow. It was. It felt like it was a 24-7 effort in the days leading up and with all the Preakness horses being on site, well, all the stakes horses being on site. So we got to see all the black-eyed Susan Phillies and just anyone, you know, you'd be like, oh, uh, I think that's Owendale. You know, like you mm-hmm. you just are looking at all these horses and I'm mentally, and on my phone, I was taking notes. So every time I would just go, you know, I'd stand there, we're, you know, clocking the Preakness horses or trying to get the footage that we need. I'd go and speak to some of the assistant trainers or the trainers to be like, is that that horse? And I'd make, you know, a couple of notes. So I knew how they were going over the track and what they were doing and if they looked good. And it was so much fun. But yes, a lot of late nights. I'm pretty sure at one point it was at 1130 and I was still making notes and I had to be at the track again at 530. And I was like, oh, it's going to be a tough one. It's kind of like your college days where you're like, I'm going to cram for this test and it's 3am and it's like, well, the test is in four hours and I still need sleep. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's, see, I used to do that, and then I got away from it thinking I'm sharper if I sleep, so the cramming isn't going to work, and I'm just going to do it on brain power by sleep. That was my (laughs) theory, and, like, I think it worked, so, so, yeah, no, but I know even with hair, with horses, that's not how it works. Like, I want to be able to watch all those replays. I want to have my notes. I want to make sure I have it all in one place so that... Whenever we're getting there, I can draw upon that because it's, you know, so many races. It was uh, 11 races on the card on Saturday, which included the Arabian race after the oh, yeah. which I covered as well going, well, this is, you know, you can barely put up any of the replays. Like I couldn't find any of them. So I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was a wonderful day. And I mean, the Philly winning the Preakness and the incredible stretch battle between her and the Kentucky Derby winner, Authentic. It was special. It was, it, it's, you know, we knew that this year was going to be different than any other year. We're going to, we were going to rewrite history being the last leg of the Triple Crown. But the fact that we now added her name to the history books as being the sixth filly to win it makes it just even better. It, it's been a wonderful week. Highs and lows. Actually, um, highs and lows. The day before, she nearly shied at something on the track in the morning because there was some stuff going on and it mm-hmm. was not ideal. But, you know, all good. Then she goes and wins the Preakness the next day. So we're all good. All good. Uh, I know you've been on Pete's show, never been on my show. So let's just kind of get to know who Naomi is. Uh, Naomi, what kind of handicapper? I've talked replays. Do you like class? Do you kind of mix it all together? Like, do you have a uh, – for me, 
I am a speed handicapper, so I look at the buyers as first and foremost. It's kind of like my tiebreaker, if you would say, out of the pillars. Yeah, so I think we were chatting about this really briefly before. Like, I love looking at the pace setup of a race. So first thing I do it when I'm handicapping a race is see, okay, how is this setting up to be like, is there a lot of speed? Is there a lack of speed? Is there a lone front runner that will benefit from the fact that nobody's going to be pressuring him or her? I very much look at that first and then go into, you know, what have the horses done? Their performances love looking at the, the replays just to see if there's anything that I liked or particularly disliked. If I liked the performance or if I think I can kind of mark it down and yes, buyers for obviously very important but i also use the u.s time form pace figures mm -hmm. love looking at the the splits underneath so they have splits that can be red blue or black love seeing if the horse ran evenly if it was a slow pace early if it was a fast pace because that all adds into the performance of the horse itself aside from the overall barrier that they got so i think i take into account a lot of things and of course also class i feel if the horse is running against lower class horses that can definitely inflate their performance a little bit because they're not under that much pressure but so long story short i think pace is the first thing for me and then everything else but i do take a lot of different factors into account I remember even just handicapping a couple of years ago before time form and it was, you know, oh, it was a speed horse alone on the lead breaking its maiden. Well, was it a slow pace, fast pace? Because most of them are usually slow when they jump up to that allowance condition. It was always usually a pretty negative bet against when you're trying to find, you know, a horse that could beat it. You want to try and find the horses that are, you know, two or three times running at that condition. And with time form, it's like, okay, blue fractions are out. The horse ran 80. It's more like a 75. Like, I always try and knock it a couple points, positive or negative. Obviously, with the fast pace, I kind of upgrade the figure as well, where now they become more of, like, what the Mike Maloney ability figures were from this book with uh, with Pete. Yeah, yeah. I still need to get that book from Pete, actually. Pete, if you're listening. <laughs> I, I haven't been able to read that one yet. I've read, like, all the buyer speed figures books, and I try literally get my hands on as many books as I can because, obviously, it's always great to come up with a new angle, something that you hadn't seen before. Um, I remember first time reading, I think it was Buyer on Speed, just about, you know, the cycling in buyer figures, how mm -hmm. recognizing patterns and how, you know, how, for example, certain horses can come out of a front running hard race with, you know, like kind of bounce a little bit, whereas others might not as much and sort of recognizing that. So, you yeah, know, I love I love reading the books as well. So obviously we start with pace. Now, what kind of wager are you? Are you more of like the win place show, like the old school now that we have all the new gimmicks? With, you know, the pick I'm five, pick so six. I'm so European in my wagering. We bet to win. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that, that's exactly what I do. I might go, you know, but what we call to win or to place is basically what you say each way. We don't have the difference between place and show mm -hmm. that you guys have here. And I, when I came to the U.S. for the first time, I didn't even realize that was something until I placed a, a bet. And I was like, <laughs> oh, that is some, wait, what? Yeah. Like, oh, so I can choose between one, two or one, two, three. That's, I had to like completely change my way of looking at things and looking at betting strategies and love, 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 love what the guys are doing with the, you know, the pick fives, the Shonic five, looking yeah. at your A and B horses and constructing tickets to spread out your value and to like go in on strong opinions and really, you know, like actually knowing the math behind what you're doing. I love that. But when I bet for myself in general, I'm still just kind of like, if I bet, it's because I think this horse is going to win and I want a good price. Like I want a six to one shot that I love and then I'll bet them to win. And that's like, and that's just a really old fashioned European thing. And I, I know it is because in Europe, if you would go bet, you know, each way, what, what we call it, people be like, well, that's not very ballsy, is it? That's literally <laughs> how, like, it's, it's so funny and it's so different. And yeah, so a little bit old fashioned, um, but still I do love a good, like the Stronach 5 are the ones that I have been playing yeah. because I feel like there's just so much value in it. And I look for value. I look, you know, that's like, in what is it? Industry low 12% takeout. Mm -hmm. Like that, I'm not like the big professional gamblers that have a high turnover, but I want to make sure that I get value and that it's not, you know, like the the, the big carryovers and things. And I'm not trying to knock that, but I know that that's a big takeout. And that does sway my opinion a little bit in terms of where do I go with my bets. Well, it's also they have the stuff out at Santanita and Golden Gate, the Golden Gate, uh, the late pick four now. And they have the double combining both of those tracks, which I think we all know how uh, 
how it's been out there out west the last couple of years. I think that they're really at the forefront of trying to make the wagers proper for the players that are out there. Yes, I think I, I must say as well that Pete and JK have been really great advocates for making sure that the horseplay's rights are protected and mm-hmm. that they get those better takeouts and good deals. And I think that they've definitely made made headway and that it's been a really good process. And I'm very proud to work for the Shrona Group, who is very forward-thinking like that. Like They want to make sure that people can get value betting and that we're promoting that. So I'm very happy with that because it would feel a little bit terrible, wouldn't it? You're promoting something that you're kind of like, oh, it's not that good. But like I said, Shronic 5, I'm so happy to like that. That's part of our track. I certainly have played a bunch for the Daily Gallop. I had one specific writer who was doing weekly stuff for the Stronic 5 just because it was such a great wager. We've kind of talked your handicap and we've talked your wagering. How about some favorite angles? I know you were talking pace, but is there like maybe a favorite, you know, claiming move or something of a workout in the morning you like to see before a maiden race? Oh, that's a really interesting one because I, I have once picked a horse that was 15 to 1 because he did like a 46 flat workout. And I was like, well, at such a big price, why not? You know, why not? Do I think that's a great angle? Oh, probably not. It's just a little bit too unreliable, especially because horses, you know, their morning works. Some horses are morning, morning glory, as we call it. That yeah. sounds so weird. But, <laughs> you know, they, they're morning horses, not afternoon horses. But that worked out because that horse came in. So actually, one of my favorite angles would be a horse that is coming back from like a mile race and is going to go sprinting again. So you're looking at some, you know, six furlong, six and a half, and they have shown speed. Because if I if I take a horse on the turn back, I want to make sure that they can at least run with the pace that they're going to go into mm-hmm. and then possibly get a nice stalking trip and get really happy that they don't have to run the extra two furlong. That seems to work. For some reason, it, it has helped me quite frequently, and I love it on turf as well. So I kind of love it both ways. Just horses on a good turn back that have shown speed tend to do well, tend to do well. So that's a little bit of an angle. And aside from that, like you said, love a good class drop. Like if a horse was boxing it with nice maiden special weights but just couldn't get the win, then going back to that maiden claiming, which is definitely you know just a lot lower, that helps. Uh, we were talking before about a maiden special weight horse going into the allowance level. You need a good horse like that comes from that maiden special weight win to then box it against um, allowance level because I have seen a lot that were very impressive winning. Great buyers stacked up very strongly against the field and then just kind of packed it up when they came under pressure from these possibly older horses and more experienced horses. So sometimes that catches me out a little bit if there is a good horse coming through the main special weight ranks and then comes in and does beat them but in general i tend to look for more experience as well like you just mentioned before we have not three but four races we decided to pick out today me and naomi (laughs) such a great big card there at the preakness the first race we would like to go over is race number five it was the grade three miss preakness going six furlongs on the dirt Monday Call, who was a horse from a previous uh, Red Board Rewind with Marshall Sterling from, I believe it was Kentucky Oaks Day. This horse was kind of the, the speed ball and everyone's ready to uh, anoint this horse like the next best thing. Uh, went off at under even money. I didn't know much about this horse. What were your thoughts on the favorite in this race? So the Miss Preakness, for me, I was very much looking forward to seeing what was going to happen in terms of pace with Fly on Angel and Monday Call thinking flying on angel was going to move towards to the lead with angel cruise on board which he did uh, i think it was a day before on harper's first ride where he won the pimlico special going straight to the front so she's a filly with a lot of speed fly on angel and she's on the inside of monday call monday calls jumping from gate five fly on angel from gate three so i think a monday call best bet is probably going to be to sit off fly on angel and not getting into that speed duel like she did um, last time out when she flew from the gates at Churchill Downs, set really, really fast fractions up front dueling and then basically emptied late. Now, I thought she's shown that she could rate before. I think it was three back at Keeneland. So I was hoping Florent Giroux would be clever enough to do that. Um, I think he did, but she kind of just emptied, didn't she? For me, it was such a weird argument because I, I woke up the day I was looking at the race. I said, there's six speeds in here. She's going to try and go to the lead. <laughs> and it's going to be the same race as last time. And everyone's like, no, no, she'll be the controlling speed. And I'm just like, 
okay, I would rather the argument be that she could possibly rate, th like you said, three back. And everyone's like, she's not a raider. She's a need to lead. And I'm just like, well, that's yeah, not she, what, what the... She shouldn't go to the front because you have Fly on Angel. That's an absolute speedball. That was going to be a suicide mission if and, she would go to the front. And and that's what I was trying to explain to people. It's just, it's it's just And that's what's the nice about racing is you have the argument. And then you kind of see... And even if this horse was supposed to be, you know, 7-8 to 1, I didn't think she was going to be a good play. She was going to be under even money. And it just seemed to me like you had to try and find another horse. What, what horse did you end up picking as your top pick? So I ended up, I had her on top because mm -hmm. she was whispered to be Brad Cox's best chance okay. th that week. Like not even Bonnie South. She was supposed wow. to be that good filly. That were the whispers around the barn. Uh, didn't turn out that way, but I did get swayed. But I think we're all a little bit guilty of that. When there's like a high horse, for example, Art Collector was the high horse in the Preakness. Everyone starts to get on board. And of course, Monday call has been very impressive before. So going into this, looking at, you know, she had, she was the only filly in the field with a triple digit buyer and double checking that right now. But yes, like she was. Mm -hmm. So she was the horse that, you know, I thought, you know, should be easy peasy here, even though it was going to be a tough race with so much speed in it. I ended up having the winner in third. So obviously I wasn't entirely right the way I thought it was going to set up. So yeah, interesting enough, Wicked Whisper on the turn back to that distance that she broke her maiden of actually suited her perfectly. So for me too, another horse that I thought might be interesting, uh, Ain't No Elmer's coming from the rail, obviously jumping up in class after that nice victory at the N2X level. When you kind of see a horse start to show some type of form, obviously, that the nice turf race two back, they switch back to the dirt, the nice win. This is the type of horse that if they can take the next step forward, could have also challenged horses like Monday Call and uh, Wicked Whisper. Well, this was a, a logical spot for her coming mm -hmm. back from that sprint race because it seemed like they, you know, they got her going again. They found her distance and it was a logical step to go up against, you know, Greatest Stakes Company. I ended up having her underneath because I've been seeing her on track and she's a beautiful moving filly, but she's, you know, she's a bit keen. She can play up a little bit. She is one of those fillies that has quite a strong character. So I was kind of like with so much speed in the race, I think she can rate, but I'm just kind of, I kind of stayed away from her on top because I thought she had to really step it up to make a dent here. What did you end up doing if you were able to wager on this race? I know obviously with you running around, especially on that day, it's very hard to get your wagers in unless you did them earlier. Did you make any wagers for this race? I'm afraid I didn't. I don't, uh, unfortunately, I don't really have time to be making wagers That's... on the day itself. So if I really, really love a horse, I try to do it like whenever I can on my phone before I start working. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, in this race, I didn't like Mundeco enough like as a certainty because there's so much speed to say that I wanted to put a wager on her. So that's just be me being super honest. If I don't love, 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 a horse and love the way it sets up i i'm not gonna wager i mean that that sounds terrible but i just don't feel like every race is a wagering race i think that as a, a horse player picking your spots works very well and looking for a race that you have that really strong opinion in and that you really think that you found value and this was just no value i mean monday call being so short to me that's no value for me, uh, my top pick was the horse Wicked Whisper. I just thought after the Maiden Special Weight victory first time out, they stretch him out in the Frisette. Another win, solid buyer improvement. Then they obviously go on a suicide mission with, as we talked, the time form figures being a 146 hot pace in that uh, BC Juvenile Philly. They bring her back, seven furlongs on the cutback in the Belmont. Not the best race, but I think when you're off that type of layoff, it's a starting point, not the finishing point. Uh, the Charlestown Oaks, grade three. There's a bunch of horses in this race that are coming out of that race. Runs a solid second. I said, if maybe we can get back to that number and Monday call it being such a low price, just puts that value on the board. And I thought five to one was value for sure on this horse. It absolutely was. It was uh, just a little bit more than what she was predicted to go off. I think she was a morning line nine to two. But you must have cashed big then. What kind of betting strategy did you use? Uh, for me, I'm kind of the same way you are. I, I've always agreed that... If you're not a good win better, you shouldn't be in the gimmick. So I, as a handicapper, have just really been trying to focus on win place show. If I find a long shot, maybe using a ladder bet or also just the straight win bet, which is what I did for Wicked Whisper. I love it. That's definitely what I do as well. So you you must have been very happy with Joe Bravo's ride. I, I was that was a very, brilliant ride. Uh, I was very happy with Jersey Joe's ride. Let's see <laughs> Wicked Whisper winning the Miss Preakness here right now.
Off of the Miss Preakness Stakes. Ain't no Elmer's Flying Angel hustled up there with early speed. He's the favorite. Bunday call in the chase from third. There's two lengths off of speed now. Wicked Whisper down inside and fourth. Sound Machine in a break of six. And it's Princess Katie and Ankle Monitor is in the back. Fifteen lengths from the front. Ain't no Elmer's on the inside end. Flying Angel in the two path past the half mile pole. Down inside is Wicked Whisper alongside of it. It's Monday call who's out in the clear watching that pace go on. And a sharp one too. 23 seconds was the opening quarter mile. Another Five lengths back. Sound Machine is in mid-pack. It back to Princess Katie and Ankle Monitor. Coming toward the top of the stretch now. Ain't no Elmer's fly on Angel. Monday call called on for a little run of the outside. And behind him is Wicked Whisperer, who's got a little chance too. And Sound Machine trying to kick into high gear as well. Into the stretch. 45 and 3 was the half mile. Ain't no Elmer's a tough customer on the pace. Here's Sound Machine on the outside and bursting through now. Wicked Whisperer has come off that fence. Wicked Whisperer ain't no Elmer's. Sound Machine on the outside. Side three chances, Wicked Whisper, and ain't no Elmers. Wicked Whisper to do it, Joe Bravo in the Miss Preakness. Wicked Whisper from ain't no Elmers. Second, Sound Machine was third, and then it was Monday Call and Princess Katie. And the number two, Wicked Whisper, does get it done with a fabulous ride, paying twelve sixty with a buyer of eighty-five. Just another race where Monday Call kind of, you know, didn't really even get started out of the gate. No, well, she was close enough to it. She was kind of doing what we thought that she should be doing, not being on the lead, not battling the speed. Um, we could whisper. I remember Joe was saying afterwards that it was all about getting out of the gate with her. And he did that so well. She was ridden out of the gate. But, you know, he kept her straight. He kept her in touch. He kept her focused. Beautiful, you know, stalking ride there. And then just kind of goes like stays on the rail the rail's been very very good and then just with about furlong to go switches her out like gets up on like sits next to ain't no elmers and just clears away so i thought that was perfectly executed right there by uh, as you said jersey joe it was interesting for me looking back at the race and looking at the uh, result chart obviously monday call under even money the next two logicals were ain't no elmers at seven to two and then wicked whisper at five to one if you had boxed those two and exact at twenty five dollars for a dollar for what seems to be a pretty logical wager when you realize that the favorite is going to be pace compromised yeah yeah but that's always easier talking afterwards isn't it because we've also seen <laughs> horses that do go on to still hold on in a lot like in a race with a lot of speed and you're a front running horse and you think that logically they might get under too much pressure I have still seen horses that can deal with that pressure and then still clear away very impressively. So it's it's always easier talking afterwards, isn't it? Let's jump ahead now. A couple of races. Race number seven was the next race to talk about in preview. It was the DeFrancis Memorial Dash, a grade three going six furlongs on the dirt. I was kind of a uh, favored horse for me would be Admiral Lynch, who had run that great buyer last time out. What say you in this race, Naomi? I had him on top as well. I loved the 72-day sort of break he got in between that third-level optional claimer that he came from at Saratoga with the really strong speed figure there. I thought, well, there's not going to be any bounds. He's doing great. He had a lovely work on the 14th of September. He had a couple of works after that too, but the 14th was like 46 and 4, super fast. Then a couple of sort of longer, slower, well, longer work, five furlongs five in 101 and four, five, four furlongs in 50 and three. So a sharp hit. A couple of like slower, longer works. I just thought Mike Maker is going to have this horse ready to go. Uh, but now you have a horse like Landeskog. It's kind of a Monday call, but with a uh, with the gelding now, just another one with a lot of speed. There's a lot of speed in the race, and you know with this one being under Brad Cox, this horse is going to take a ton of money. Yeah, yeah. I'm afraid, of course, Brad Cox uh, won the trainer's bonus last year. Comes here with a loaded stable, and his son was here. And uh, a sick assistant, excuse me, Ricky Giannini, who normally runs the Indiana string, was here as well. So this horse looked great on track. But as you mentioned, a lot and lot and lots of speed in this race. And Landeskog is a horse that loves to go to the front, dominate it from there, possibly set some slower fractures and then clear away. And it just doesn't seem like this race would set up like that because there is going to be speed so he's going to get pressured or just kind of left behind if he's not going fast enough up front another horse that i just think is one of the most over bet horses in the country nitrous paco lopez steve asmussen this horse just seemed every single time to take some type of money whether he was under five to one or around that range and this is a horse that i thought that just should be 15 20 to one just because he just <laughs> seems to never be able to get the job done 
Yeah, but hold on. This race would set up for him because he is a closer. Mm-hmm. Being on the outside, Paca can just kind of slide him wherever he wants to have him. Steve Asmussen, Aussie trainer that knows how to train his horses to win at Pimlico because he does it all the time. I get that you're saying over bet because he hasn't been to the winner's circle since, when was it, uh, mid-April 2019 or yep. end of April 2019? Mm-hmm. So, yes, I know what you mean, but it would arguably set up for him here. Was this another race where it was kind of a pass just due to what you were doing uh, on the racetrack, or do you have any wagering in this race? I'm afraid every single race uh, is a pass when I'm working that much, especially on such a big day. But I did have a tiny, tiny little wager on Authentic because I liked him so much. For me, it was Admiral Lynch. Let's see who wins the grade three uh, DeFrancis Dash right now. And they're off of the Frank J. DeFrancis Memorial Dash. Crystal Sky, very quick out of the gate for Landis Skog. Outside there is Nitrous moving forward and Admiral Lynch down inside. Lakai just outkicked in between horses. And only two lengths off the pace, though. And last of them all is Eastern Bale. Watch that speed go on. Crystal Sky half length from Admiral Lynch out of the rail. Now Crystal Sky clear about a length. Landis Skog surging into second in the clear. Then on the outside is Nitrous and Lakai is back at the fifth spot and Eastern Bale still has eight or nine lengths to raise. Christo Sky around the far turn in a cracking opening quarter mile. 22 and four-fifths of a second. And it is Christo Sky and Julian Pimentel the target to catch her. Landis Gog in that hard chase from second. Nitrous is in third. Admiral Lynch down inside there. And it's back to Lakai. And Eastern Bay is last and swinging to the far, far outside. Quarter to go at Pimlico. The half mile, 45 seconds flat. Christo Sky is the leader. Nitrous charging hard. Lakai out in the center of the track is raising a nice rally too. Here comes Lakai. Lakai on the outside, grinding it out. Lakai, Nitrous, Lakai, Nitrous, Eastern Bay chimes in very late to Lakai, Nitrous, Eastern Bay, three in a line, three-way photo. Lakai, Lakai, Nitrous, and Eastern Bay in a three-way go of the Frank J. DeFrancis Memorial Dash. Then Crystal Sky and Admiral Lynch. And a horse we didn't talk about, the number four, Lockie wins, paying 16.40 with a 95 buyer. It was a race where closers dominated, and the one, two, and three horses at the quarter were dead last. Yeah, well, the the three horse was dead last. Mm-hmm. Lakai was actually right there the whole time, sort of sat behind the leader on the rail. He actually had to get steadied, and that's why he ended up going towards the back because he was right there the whole time, then sort of had a horse move around in front of him, and he had to get steadied, and it looked like he was completely done. Like, it looked like this is there's no way he can come back with a run against these speed balls. And then he came back running. It just seemed like maybe that gave him a little bit of a breather but it, it worked really well and then he came back running four wide him nitrous eastern bay was the number three horse that was so far back and oh my god three-way picture we were screaming because lakai <laughs> is such an incredible special horse for damon di lodovico and horatio caramanas knows this horse so well first graded stakes win for the stable it was just a feel-good win like this was there was a wonderful Wonderful race to watch, and definitely one of the highlights aside from the Preakness. One thing, obviously, when you go back and look in the form, this horse had had you know four four declining buyers, but that big workout before this race, maybe tides were a shifting, and this horse was actually going to show up with the effort that he was that he ended up showing on the racetrack. Yeah, I liked him a little bit actually. I had him, I had him underneath. I didn't have him on top because, like you mentioned, I liked Admiral Lynch from the inside with speed. But I thought, you know, Damon has been preparing his horses very, very well. They've, you know, they've been very sharp, and if they get the right trip, they can deliver. Now, <laughs> I didn't anticipate Lakai getting steady like that. So when I saw that, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, we're done, we're done. So for him to come back like he did was just, just wonderful, and nitrous was right there (laughs) this is a horse for me that i maybe have to take another shot and i think now whereas i was more looking at him as maybe he wasn't in form i think maybe he's going to show a touch of form here now and now it's all going to be pace dependent if it's another race like this where there's a ton of speed it's another horse where he has to get used and he did go off at six to one in this race which i don't think even if with the pace being what it was wasn't really fair value but he just missed in that three-way photo like you said yeah, that was a wonderful race to watch. Really competitive race, and I feel like that's been the general consensus throughout the day. 
the racing officers done such an incredible job because every race was so competitive. And I think also great wagering opportunities because you were getting a couple of fair, bigger prices on horses that actually did have chances, but for example, weren't from those big barns. I mean, Steve Asmussen is always going to take money. Brad Cox is always going to take money. So, you, you know, a horse like Damon's horse wasn't going to take money because quite frankly, Damon isn't, you know, your Hall of Fame trainer. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more with that. Let's jump into our third race. It was the race for the girls, the black-eyed Susan race number 10 going a mile and eighth on the dirt track. Bonnie South seemed to be what everyone's pick of the day was. What say you in this, Naomi? I tried to beat her, but I didn't pick the right horse for it. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to beat her with the hopeful growth who was Eight to one morning line. She gets away from the top level division. She tried last time out. She was in the Kentucky Oaks, of course. You know, she there's the devil, Swiss skydiver, Gamine, all the heavy hitters. She couldn't go with them. But then when you're looking at her effort in the Mammoth Oats, she was phenomenal there. She she was right there the whole way, rallied and then just cleared away. And I thought that if she could sit and stalk on the Trevor who has been riding at the top of his game. Like, had a couple of days where he rode a treble. I thought, this could be value. She she looked great. She was that classic type of filly in the paddock. And I'm, I, I was thinking, this is going to this is gonna be it. I'm going to beat Bonnie South. Now, that wasn't the right horse to beat her with, but I tried, right? I mean, that's all we can do at the end of the day is just try. For me, Bonnie South just seemed like the – the right horse to be on after such a great ride in the Alabama against Swiss Skydiver. If you, if, if you thought Swiss Skydiver was a good horse going into the Preakness, how do you not play this horse? A couple of the other horses that took some money, uh, Miz and Boo, you said said hopeful growth. Uh, a horse that I just I remember just kicked my butt all last year at Saratoga's Perfect Alibi. I still remember uh, one of my friends, he's a big-time fan of Tracy Farmer, Mark Cassidy, he goes, those Sky Mesas, they don't go for over 200000 usually, and he was right on both accounts with this horse last year, but just seems to be one of those horses that was a good two-year-old and not a good three-year-old. Yeah, that was my note as well. So I didn't end up including her at all, actually. She was that grade one winner as a two-year-old. She's been trying to regain her top form. She has improved a fair bit last time out, so she kind of started stepping it up. Gets first-time blinkers, but to me... She still needed to find so much against some of the speed figures that the other fillies in this race uh, have been running. Let's see who wins the grade two black-eyed Susan right now. And they're off in the black-eyed Susan stakes. Off to a perfect beginning. Miss Marissa, hopeful growth, and here's Miz and Bo in the early firing line as well. That trio going to go on as they pass us now. Also, Sharp Star is keyed up with speed of the outside. So Don Hart is in between Oris's, and Perfect Alibi's dropped over to the two-path into the first turn run. They're followed by Project Whiskey, and then it's Dream Marie racing back of the pack with Truth Hurts, and the favorite, Bonnie South, trails the field. As the black-eyed Susan Field moves round that first turn, six and a half furlongs to go, 11 lengths, covers front to back, and a sharp opening quarter, 23 seconds flat. Miz and Bo going a good pace out there. Three quarters of a length from Miss Marissa in second. Sharp Star is in third. On the inside is Hopeful Growth. Hopeful Growth just right off his speed now and three lengths in the front, just taking third. Sharp Star back and forth. Perfect Alibi is in fifth. Then to the outside is Dream Marie making progress there from sixth position within eight lengths of the lead. Project Whiskey still ground saving back there and so darn hot. Truth hurts and Bonnie South is still Still last into the far turn run, about 11 lengths from the front. The half 46, three fifths of a second, three furlongs to go. The black eyed Susan Stakes. There's Miss Marissa tackling Miz and Bo. Length and a half more. Hopeful growth is in third position. Now Bonnie South begins to try to roll from the back of the pack, but still double digits from the front. Is coming five wide and still 10, maybe 11 from the lead with a quarter to go at Pimlico. It's Miss Marissa leading the way. Short lead from Miz and Bo second. Hopeful growth is in third. Miss Marissa still going strong. Bonnie South is lingering along in fifth position with a furlong left to go. Miss Marissa Daniel Centeno, they've got the lead by three. Hopeful growth. Bonnie South is charging hard on the far outside. Here comes Bonnie South. Bonnie South outside. Miss Marissa. Miss Marissa Bonnie South. Half-length win there for Miss Marissa from Bonnie South. And the number nine, Miss Marissa gets it done paying 22-20 with a buyer of 92. Just wonderful race. Bonnie South probably ran the race of the day even though she only ran second thoughts on the race. I mean, Bonnie South, 
I couldn't flaw her in the paddock. You, she was the horse to beat in this race, and she's just an absolute professional. She looked amazing, you know, tuned up to the nines, got was so far back, and now we know that she likes to get back. She is a closer, mm. but wow, she was taking so much kickback. And yes, the track was drying out. Yes, it was getting more evenly, but still it has been favoring speed. It has been favoring horses on the rail. So what she was up against trying to close, that was an incredible performance. Nonetheless, she would have only needed, what, two, three more strides and she would have collared uh, Miss Marissa, who was right there so close to the speed the whole way because the horse on her outside landing zone wasn't there. So she was able to just use her early speed, come over, sort of sit second, you know, on the tail of the leader there and, and have a bit of fun, really, like no pressure on her, nobody passing her from the outside. And, and that was really impressive. But she just held on, didn't she? I feel like, too, when you look at a horse like Miss Marissa had been tried in the Frisette and the Demoiselle, a couple of uh, listed stakes. I think that last race really speaks to uh, the the training and just why is this horse going to end up in the Black Eyed Susan? Well, because that last race was well worth it, and it's such a big improvement. Can you see if the horse is going to improve again? Well, I think the trainer intent of putting a horse in another grade, too, that they haven't been in the last four or five races kind of says, yeah, she's doing all right, and I think she's got a good shot in this. Yeah, for me, it was great to see that last race at Saratoga because she had run over a mile and an eighth before, but didn't do that well. So, I, you know, seeing that she actually could win over that distance, post a good buyer, set, you know, decent fractions on the lead, showed to me that she had that capability of going long and continuing that speed. Now, for me, she did have to step it up because, as you mentioned, this was a big no, step up in class. And as as we said before, it is possible for a horse that when they're running on the lead against lower class horses, that they could just get a bit of an easy trip. So I liked her being on the outside and I thought she was interesting. Did I think she was going to beat Bonnie South? No, I didn't. But gosh, it was close. Other than Bonnie South, was there another horse from a trip perspective that you thought you can upgrade or downgrade? Uh, I think it was Bonnie South for me the whole way. Mm-hmm. Um, hopeful growth. That just, you know, she was right there. She had all the opportunity and did no running in the end. I mean, she finished third. But for me, I wanted to see so much more for her because she got that trip that she wanted. So perhaps downgrade her a little bit. But she, you know, she finished third. So that's probably not the biggest note to go by. Let's jump over to the last race of our program. It was race number 11 from Pimclo. It's the grade one Preakness Stakes. One and three sixteen miles on the dirt. I mean, we've come a long way this year with this Triple Crown, and I'm almost, like, gasping for everything. I'm like, oh, it's finally done. Oh, wait, Breeders' Cup is in three (laughs) weeks. Good Lord. Oh, wow. It's been the weirdest year. And the Preakness, it's been, you know, the lead-up to it has been so intriguing. Of course, all these horses coming from the Kentucky Derby, as well as horses that were at the Kentucky Derby, were on the grounds but didn't run like yeah. thousand words, like art collector. So there were so many storylines and a, an amazing betting race because I think every handicapper could find an angle that they liked in here. You can go with thousand words thinking, you know, he's, he's getting the blinkers on. He's going to be more forwardly placed. Hasn't run in the Kentucky Derby. Bob Baffert's going to make sure he saddles well, which he did. Uh, any other horses, like for example, I thought pneumatic would be interesting on the outside, getting a toe into the race, by authentic joe bravo was jokingly saying i'm gonna hold on to authentic still he did he just didn't you know just didn't close that well but there are so many different angles that you can go with this was a phenomenal betting race and then swiss skydiver the filly up against the boys she was training phenomenally she was one of the horses on the grounds that every morning just looked great very relaxed very calm on track but the talking horse was definitely art collector. The horse that didn't get the chance to run in the Kentucky Derby hasn't been able to measure himself against these other Colts. Now, he had the best of the filly, Swiss Skydiver, but he had never run against some of these West Coast horses. So there was just so much to go by. Now, I ended up staying with Authentic, the Kentucky Derby winner, thinking that this draw was better. Uh, Johnny V thought, going into this race i have the best horse in the race i was i him having experience with the horse now knowing that it works to just kind of let him glide into it i was i was hoping this gonna was gonna be a done deal but he well he was morning line favorite 
was he beatable? Yes, because the field was that deep, that competitive, and that many unknown form lines coming in. I think that the big talking point for me, one of them was seeing thousand words back on the racetrack after flipping in the paddock how was he going to act in the paddock and also our collector was the steam horse the fact that he went off at two to one and not lower than authentic i was like stunned by because it seemed like everyone and their grandmother was betting art collector the other big thing for me was swiss skydiver was 5x the price and everyone was like oh but the last race well the last race was against what everyone i thought for the most part of the year thought that the phillies were going to be better than the boys to begin with and that race was just crazy good from top to bottom it was it was the kentucky oaks was a phenomenal race and she she to me she lost nothing in defeat she you know she was right there the whole time clicking off quite fast fractions being close to the pace and making her move and coming with that run and she just couldn't catch the winner there and i didn't think that she was out of it but was she up against it yes because she was going against the boys again had been soundly beaten by art collector and it is tough to go against a whole group of, you know, heavy hitting three-year-old Colts. And even though we said we thought the Phillies division was stronger, you're still looking at like class top to bottom in the Preakness. For me, it was authentic on top. I just thought just the last race, especially in the Derby, that hard-nosed try. I just thought that maybe if he was over the top, it would tell me in this race. But just I thought that he had actually taken that proverbial step forward finally as a three-year-old and was really ready to show everyone what he was well worth. And you said also for Authentic, what was your thoughts fully on Authentic into the race? Well, Authentic going into it, I had the chance to speak with Bob Baffert beforehand as well. And he was saying sometimes, you know, with the horses that come out of the Kentucky Derby, and of course he has a lot of experience with Kentucky Derby winners, he said that race can really take something out of a horse. It's a tough Mm -hmm. race. It's a heavy track or it's a tough track. We know Tis the Law didn't enjoy it as much and came out of it a little bit stiffer. So Bob was saying they can come out of it and just feel themselves a little bit and not in the good way. But he was saying you know, on the grounds and as Authentic was going around in the morning, this horse has blossomed. He has not lost anything in that race and he seems to really be coming into his own. And that's what he showed in the morning as well. He was so, so keen. And I got the chance to speak with his exercise rider quite frequently, Umberto Gomez. And he said, like one of the days I was looking, you know, I was watching him and this horse was honestly just dragging him around. Like all Authentic wanted to do was go faster. He just wanted to be turned loose. And he said that when he pulled up, the pony girl asked him, do you want to jog back to the gap? And he said, no, let's walk. I need to catch my breath. (laughs) That's how strong Authentic was training. So for me, this horse going into the Preakness did everything right. There just was nothing that I could flaw him on, except perhaps that he gets worked up. He does it in training too. He's a highly strong horse. He goes into the paddock, he starts jig-jogging, he walked out onto the turf, he started jig-jogging. Johnny V got on him, he kind of, you know, you know, tensed his back Mm -hmm. a little bit. But that is the horse. Like, that's just him. And Johnny knows him now, and he knows how to sort of guide him to preserve his energy during the race. And I was hoping that that was going to be the case here, exactly like in the Kentucky Derby. Just kind of sit quietly, let him slide up, let him use his natural speed. He was the horse for me in the Brickness. Let's listen back to what I think was one of the best stretch calls since Beholder Songbird right now in the Preakness. And they're off in Preakness 145. Pretty solid beginning there, and Thousand Words out for the early lead, Authentic alongside there on the outside. And next is Swiss Skydiver, the filly will take back a little bit, and Art Collector also a bit reserved early going, and it's Pneumatic on the outside within two lengths of the early pace. Live Your Beast Life is next, and Hazes' team in New York traffic. They're followed by Max, a player, and Mr. Big News has one beaten into the first turn. That is Accession, who is 11th and last, and about a dozen, maybe 13 lengths off the pace with seven days to go. That's set by thousand words with authentic alongside baffert runners one two and pneumatic racing in third that opening quarter very reasonable 24 two-fifths of a second art collectors placed in between horses for the run down the back stretch now a philly swiss skydiver and she is fifth in three lengths as authentic has taken the lead away just a half length now from thousand words in second on the outside is pneumatic in third and now swiss skydiver she's slicing through between horses to come join the pace now here's swiss skydiver a 47 and three half 
mile, heading into the far turn, and here is Swiss Skydiver, testing authentic now. They're head-to-head -head for the lead. Pneumatic is in third. New York Traffic Art Collector ridden along down to the inside. Art Collector fourth. New York Traffic is in fifth. Thousand words drops back. Jesus has seen Mr. Big News still with plenty to do. Max Player, live your beast life, and Accession trails the field. Six furlongs a minute, 11 and one-fifth of a second. With a quarter to go at Pimlico, and the Philly shows away. Swiss Skydiver, authentic, the Derby winner alongside. They're set for a battle in Baltimore. And on the inside, Swiss Skydiver. On the outside, authentic. Johnny B going left-handed. Swiss Skydiver. Swiss Skydiver for a long left to go. Swiss Skydiver looking to make Preakness history. Another Philly bounding toward the 16th pole. And here's authentic on the outside. Answering the call, head and head and nose and nose. Swiss Skydiver and Robbie Alvarado. They've done it from authentic. Another seven lengths back, and it was Hazos' team, followed on the inside by Art Collector. And the number four Swiss Skydiver wins, paying 25.40 with a 105 buyer. I think that we were both right in saying this, Naomi, that she has just blossomed into an amazing filly. Yes. I mean, that race, aside from the fact that she came into that peaking, which is an incredible feat by trainer Kenny McPeak, she has been campaigned all over the United States. She's been at, I think I was checking out what the actual stats were. And it said that the Preakness was her ninth stakes race, mm -hmm. ninth different track. Like she has been traveling all over. So for him to keep her peaking and together here, the way she did and the way she turned up is an incredible training performance. And he mentioned that she's a wonderful eater. She loves her food. She just dives riding. So that helps. And she looks like Colt, she has an incredible amount of muscle to her. She really isn't a feminine type. She's a very manly type or muscular type, just a lot to her. And she doesn't let herself get beaten about by the boys as shown in the stretch because Authentic was on her mm -hmm. and she was not letting him go by. Now that to me, aside from her talent and how fit she was, that was just pure heart that she won. She just decided he was not going to go by. And that was incredible. And great credit to Robbie Alvarado because he was sitting in the pocket, sort of the garden spot on the rail behind Thousand Words and Authentic making the lead. Thousand Words started dropping back and he decided to go in between the gap to take the risk to go there and slide up on the inside of Authentic and sit there the whole time with the and go for him. I thought it was, you know, that was a split second decision and it was a good one. And Robbie actually told me that on the backside, the way she was going, he said, I knew it was going to win. And it's interesting, too, because everyone, you hear all the guys on Twitter out of the, you know, just with the crazy theories and all that, and they're like, oh, if Robbie doesn't make that move, she doesn't win. Well, no, Robbie created the winning move, but she still has to make sure that Authentic doesn't get by, so it's a team effort. But this is also the thing where people say, like, oh, I don't I don't use, incorporate jockeys. Every single jockey can win a race. And it's like, Robbie was half of the equation to winning this race. If he doesn't make that move... Maybe she's not in the spot to then hold off authentic down the lane. Well, I think that when it comes to such close margins as it did in the Preakness, the jockey definitely 100% makes a difference. Mm -hmm. When you're looking at just the talent of the horse or outclassing a field, yes, if a horse is winning by five, does it really matter which top jockey, mind you, top jockey you have on because we have a lot of phenomenal jockeys. But here... I say it mattered. Yes, that move mattered. That is exactly how he won the race. And I can't flaw Johnny V either because this was his game plan. He wanted to go and slide to the front. He got there. He might have been to the front a little bit later than perhaps anticipated. But, you know, thousand words, had the blinkers on, went forward. That's the way the race panned out. And I do think that the top jockeys can 100% make the difference when it comes to noses like it did in this year's Preakness. And then to bring up another point, you made nine, nine different races or ten different tracks or whatever in that aspect. Uh, I'm going to go off on a tangent now, just because of uh, with the uh, with the Eclipse Awards and how it just seems like if a horse runs four times and wins four times, they get the Eclipse, whether or not a horse ran twelve times and had six wins, but then two off the boards because they brought the horse back and were trying different things. I mean, the biggest one for me was the Got Stormy versus Uni last year. I thought Got Stormy, just because she'd run so much, deserved it. Obviously, it didn't happen. I just, I understand why people say, you know, oh, the horse needs two or three months off for that specific horse. But I feel like when you get down to the nitty-gritty, 
sometimes these horses are off for five, six months, and they don't need that. They just showed now. You can run. He only didn't run her, I think, in April was the only month that this horse didn't run in. I think that's probably a cultural shift in terms of what the owners want and looking at trainers and mm-hmm. trainers, you know, win percentages that they aren't running the horses that often anymore because, you know, looking at a colt, let's say you want to make a stallion prospect, you are not going to put them in places that they're going to get beat mm-hmm. because that doesn't make them look good. And unfortunately, that also means that you're not always going to see those amazing battles between horses that are well each other's equal and could make such a phenomenal race. So, in terms of like with the awards, I'm hoping that that's not going to be the case that they're just going for the horse that's unbeaten because it was so well placed instead of the horse like Swiss Skydiver who traveled all over and turned up every time. And yes, got beaten sometimes, but she did. She went out there and put herself on the line every single time. I think the main horse to talk to out of here, Art Collector, for, for being everyone's you know go-to horse, going dropping from five to two to two to one, I think just didn't show up with a uh, with a prime effort here. He wasn't close to it really at all. Like he was sort of sitting behind it and we were all thinking, okay, now he's going to pounce. Now he's going to do something. And he, he, he didn't like he tried, but he, he was just, it looked like he just came up a little bit empty. He was the hype horse and possibly, possibly maybe this was a step too far for him. Now this is me, me just uh, speculating here, or he was just not, not there on the day because the architecture that we've seen in the past races, was better than this to be quite frank that is all the time we have here for this podcast naomi thank you for coming on wonderful talking to you where can people find you on social media and if you're doing any more side projects obviously with the podcast or laura or another track in general uh well yeah you can find me on twitter at naomi tucker tucker with two k's no c the very very dutch spelling um (laughs) i'll be doing my own podcast again this week trying to get some very interesting guests like always wanted to you know reflect on what happened throughout the week and during preakness and a couple of good stories that i still have on my sleeve that i feel like we should all be uh, tuning into and yes you'll find me back again at laurel we're running on thursday back to the grind uh, i'm afraid there's not going to be the three-year-old classic horses that are going to line up again on tuesday uh, thursday excuse me but it'll still be a, a fun card looking forward to it thanks so much for being on thank you spencer Thank you all the great fans for listening to this show and my special guest, Naomi Tucker. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Pierre Thomas Florentel. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time.